0: One thing I did want to say off the top before we get started here, if you are on the Total Geek All feed or the Screen Rant Underground feed, we do implore you to start switching over to the Podcast X feed. It is now up on Apple Podcast, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, as well as Spotify. So pretty much everywhere where podcasts are available, we do need you guys to switch over there because we are going to stop posting these at some point um, there relatively soon. Um, I just wanted to get all of them set up so people could easily find them. We now have that. So, you know, I'm going to start cutting that off here pretty soon. So if you want to continue listening to us, or even if you don't think you're going to listen to us all the time, but you know, you're going to pop in once in a while for a movie review of a movie or a TV show or something that you're interested in hearing us talk about, move over to podcast X, because you will not get that on the other podcast feeds much longer. Podcast X listeners. Today we have a full menu uh, of geeky stuff to talk about. We're going to talk about Top Gun Maverick, which the three of us have seen. We're going to talk about the first two episodes of Obi-Wan, as well as, you know, kind of any tangentially related Star Wars celebration announcements. And then we'll finish up with a sort of spoiler conversation of the first four episodes of Stranger Things um, season two three part one, season four, part one, season four, part one. Um, So we're going to kick it off with Maverick. We are going to be talking um, spoilers for that. So if you haven't seen it, you know, check the show notes, um, you know, skip ahead. But, uh, you know, I don't think there's a whole lot there that's like super spoilery anyway. So... I don't feel like that's a movie that like I would feel terrible if I had like listened to people talk about spoilers and then go go see exactly but with that said, I think I'm gonna kick things off this week. Um, as usual, I am joined by my co-host Rob Keys and special Hello. guest and special guest Kofi outlaw. What up? Um, but I'm gonna kick things off this week I think with Top Gun because I reviewed it for screenrant.com. I gave it a four out of five stars, which has turned out to be somewhat of a controversial <laughs> score. Which you know, someday when we have more time, maybe we'll just talk about you know, like our history with movie review scoring and why Kofi and I hate it, <laughs> and like why we well, don't. No, don't think pull me into your mess. Okay. <laughs> like, all right, well.
1: Don't pull me in your Transformers 4 mess. Yeah, it's as good as Transformers 3 and 4 and not as good as Prometheus. Well, that's it. Got it. So,
0: yeah, I, uh, we, a long time ago, had a conversation about just doing away with um, review scores entirely at ScreenRant. And then we ended up keeping them for SEO purposes. But, uh, yeah, it's my least favorite My least favorite part of doing a review is having to, you know, come up with a score and then later defend that score. Yeah. Um, this one is no uh, exception. So I gave it a 4 out of 5. But what people and I've received a few people on Twitter kind of giving me a hard time about it is and I think this will contextualize my review as well. I'm I'm not just going on a tangent here is that I, you know, the tagline of the review is essentially that, you know, it's it's an even better movie than an already iconic or, you know, original film. So it's a better sequel to an iconic original Which, you know, kind of then people are like doing the math and they're saying, well, if you said this is a four out of five, then, you know, what is Top Gun? You know, 3.5, three or something. And it's not really the way that I was thinking about it. But I do think and I, I think, you know, a lot of people have kind of come to the same conclusion that this this film sort of retroactively makes the original Top Gun an even better film in a lot of ways. And it kind of it sort of makes things that happen in that film that are just sort of designed to drive you know maverick's character forward in the original film and and sort of set up different you know sort of internal conflicts into things that actually feels like they have ramifications and stakes and you know the 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 impact of what happened in the first one has actually Sorry, sort of. Did you say that again? Dude, I don't know why every time we record this podcast, Siri blows up at me. Um, how those things kind of have actual like ramifications for the person that Maverick becomes, and in some ways the person that Maverick doesn't become. And so I think that was like you know a, a really rich kind of like embellishment on the first film that maybe the first film didn't even drive home as uh, as successfully as this one sort of does retroactively. So, you know, from a character and, and sort of execution standpoint, I just think it's a, you know, it's a tighter film, it spends more time building out the emotions and the complexities of these different characters, in a way that I'm not sure we sort of captured in the original film. And that's why I say it's better. And that's why I scored at a four. And, you know, you can look back and try and, you know, calculate what I would think the original Top Gun is or something. But I think, I don't think the fact that you know, the score is a four, which on the Screen Rant scale is excellent, should take away from, you know, people's enjoyment of this film in any way, shape or form. Like I'm giving this a very glowing review in a lot of ways. I didn't have a lot of criticisms of it. I think it's well executed. I think the characters are great. I would love to see another sequel with some of these characters, like the new recruits. I think some of them are really interesting. And, uh, you know, in general, sort of the the rooster through line from Goose with with Maverick is really great. And by the time we finally get to the sort of climax of the film where there's an actual, you know, action set piece where there are like life and death stakes, I thought that was really exciting and delivered in a way that, you know, only sort of a modern movie experience could in ways that the original Top Gun, you know, wasn't exactly able to. And it's a great, it's also a great premise, like the idea of them having to do this sort of Death Star you know kind of run and like all the training they have to do and and how that has to be executed perfectly and how how Maverick is sort of guiding them through that and testing them in different ways i think just as a structure for a film was a really successful setup to accomplish a lot of the character stuff that they they wanted to but i mean this is maybe the first film and some people will take issue with this because you know they saw spider-man far or no way home and they've seen you know, like, uh, I don't know, other movies recently that you know have been in Doctor Strange and stuff that have been in theaters that they enjoyed as theatrical experiences. This is the first movie I felt like coming back from COVID, where I was in a packed theater, everybody was screaming and super excited and just you know thrilled and engaged in a way that felt like a real accomplishment from the filmmakers. Because you know, with things like Spider Man No Way Home, like we've talked about it, there's some great fan service and crowd pleasing sort of moments and stuff there in, in both that and and Dr. Strange. But I feel like this just earned it solely on the success of how good the film is on, in terms of caring about the characters and delivering really awesome action. So I am curious what, you know, the two of you have to say about it, but I, you know, I'm very positive on it. I, you know, anybody who's reading the review is as anything sort of negative with that score, you know, I'd, I'd encourage you to actually read the review because I think, I think I'm think i pretty clear in there as to why why I like it and stuff. And, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't think I ever gave a movie a five out of five the entire time we've been doing really? this. I don't think so. I went back and I looked. I think the only five out of five that I ever gave... Video games? <laughs> was, yeah, Heavy Rain oh boy. <laughs> back in our game rant days or something. Yeah. So, um, you know, which I, I can't stand by now either. But, but so you know, for me, 4.5, like this wasn't, you know, like I saw everything everywhere all at once, you know, like about a week ago and that I, I probably, I might've gone 4.5 just because of how like innovative and different and unique it was. Um, this felt like to me, I could have maybe seen myself going 4.5, but I landed on a four ultimately. Um, but Kofi, why don't we kick it to you? Um, Rob is, has the freshest eyes on this thing. So, and I have no idea what he thought about it. Although I I feel like I can predict how Rob's going to have felt about it. But... <laughs> you say that every week. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess I was wrong. I was wrong last week, but. I mean, yeah, I'll say that.
2: Uh, I mean, I want to go back now and read your four star transformers for review and have that <laughs> make sense and explain to me as well in context uh... without, without the stars. But, uh, yeah. That aside, I mean, I think you played yourself without just with a half star would have gotten you out of a lot of trouble here. And, Probably. Uh, that's 100%. what the half star is all about. <laughs> yeah. Because when you know it's going to be a problem, that's what the half star is for. But um, I, I mean, I think you also missed the opportunity. I think you would have been very safe to go with a five out of five on this one um, for pretty much everything you just kind of hung yourself with the words <laughs> you, you just said. Yeah. Right. Um, You know, basically, this is one of the best kind of written legacy sequels we've ever had. It's one of the best executed for, I mean, directorially, uh, you know, and stunt wise. And Tom Cruise kind of anchors this whole thing. And um, like you said, it's also the larger cultural context of it arriving at a time to kind of being this movie they held from theaters and kept saying, no, 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 no. They got Netflix offers. They got all kinds of offers. They kind of like, you know. At times, even Paramount was probably looking down the gun about putting it on Paramount Plus and like all that stuff, and they were like, "No, no, 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 no! Like we're not doing that." And you know, to hold it and keep the faith, and then put it in theaters and see this kind of return on your faith is a is a very good thing for the filmmakers, and but it's also very positive things for movie theaters and you know experiences you can't duplicate at home because this is a movie, and um, I saw it in IMAX and it's definitely a movie you cannot duplicate in a home theater experience. I don't care what kind of home theater you have. Like it, it is a movie that captures a crowd, is a crowd pleaser uh, that only Tom Cruise can kind of still make that where, you know, people laughed in sync, they got sad and quiet in sync. Everybody was on the edge of their seats and like at the right points and it was a shared movie experience and in an IMAX I mean, just the sound design and the picture, I mean, and the camera shots and everything from the aerial stuff. Uh, it's safe to say this is a better movie than the original in terms of, you know, do, you know, cinema in, in terms of being cinema in the Martin Scorsese kind of uh, value of the term. Like this is a much more cinematic project. Joseph Kaczynski is, you know, quietly just one of the best doing it. And, uh, Yeah, it's nuts. But um, what I really appreciate about this movie is not just the cultural thing about bringing back theaters and kind of bringing back Top Gun, but the fact that it's also this kind of like crazy, deeper mortality tale about Tom Cruise facing the fact that Tom Cruise isn't going to be around forever. And Mm -hmm. like, you know, like, (laughs) I mean, there's a whole big like really once you kind of key into it, like just the whole metaphor of. You know, he, they're talking about fighter pilots in the part with Ed Harris and, you know, you're you're a dinosaur and you're obsolete. And it's like these are classic movie stars, right? These are like yeah. action movie stars like Tom Cruise. And it's the whole premise of him having like, teach a new generation. Like, it's all one big metaphor for, I mean, him making movies, realizing his time is, you know, his life is coming or his time or, you know, his career, whatever it is, coming into the later stages and he's not going to be around forever. And, but you know, that the power of movies and can carry on and all this deep stuff. Right. And so like, uh, I thought that was the most kind of surprising thing to me. It was just like, I never seen a Tom Cruise movie. That's so serious about like Tom Cruise and kind of like a reflection of Tom Cruise and, and, you know, ruminating on what he did, what kind of things he achieved and, you know, what can he still achieve now and bring to the table now? And, you know, he kind of proved it literally and figuratively in this movie. Maverick kind of proves what he still has. And Tom Cruise just is proving in the real world, like, you know, what he still has and by, you know, what this movie is doing successfully. So it's pretty crazy, man. Like, yeah. And I think you would have been safe on the five out of five for this one because everything yeah. hits. There's not like a weak point. I, I don't think there's a weak point in this whole thing because Tom Cruise would never let it be. And like every scene <laughs> matters. Like it's tight. It's. Every scene matters. There's not one scene that isn't perfectly kind of, you know, thought out and executed well as like a little, just a sequence. Like this is not one of those movies are going to be like, Oh, release the Kaczynski cut. Like, you know, like everybody's <laughs> what was there was tight and, and kind of polished and perfect. And all the actors are great. Like, I mean, they got heavyweights even for the smallest roles like Ed Harris and a cameo in the beginning. Like, you know, um, yeah. Jennifer Connelly to be the love interest in a way that, you know, she can still, you can tell, you know, Jennifer Connelly can still do that. Uh, Was that a uh, requiem for a dream thing where she can look like real, like classy, but also you're like, she may be doing something really nuts. Like she looks like she'd be crazy. <laughs> Grab a gun, go like cop's gun crazy. Um, yeah. <laughs> so you can believe her with, like, Maverick, you know, as a grown-up woman who used to be, like, into pilots and rock stars and stuff like that. You can; be- She's very believable and, like, yeah. fun in that way. <clears throat> and so, like, that yeah. whole arc with her is really good. So even the love story arc, I mean, we're trying to reproduce the Kelly McGinnis thing is, like, that's nuts. But, you know, they did a good job. So, yeah, man, I think you just missed out on making life easy for yourself with a 5 out of 5 <laughs> or at least a 4.5.
0: The uh, the Jennifer Connolly character. A lot of people were speculating that that was like the. It's mentioned in it an is. earlier. Penny. Okay, they it is. they mention yeah, her Penny. by
2: name, like in the first yeah. one. Okay. Yeah, he's the yeah. Uh, she's the admiral's daughter that he vaguely refers to about like you know he was banging okay. and I got in trouble for.
0: Yeah, that's it. Because <laughs> someone was talking to me, they were like, "I just didn't like the way they threw her in there," and I was like, "Well, you know, I mean, they." do kind of throw her in there in some ways because you've never seen the character before, but they're like, they really do play up that history of, they have this on and off again, you know, they're always getting into trouble together and and stuff like that. Well, that's what I I mean by like like
2: how tight it is. Like the scene between them, all the dialogue gives you exactly what you need to know. Like you believe that she is like a lifelong military, like, you know, daughter and she's hung around these bases and, She's yeah. had her fun, and Maverick was somebody she kind of, like, has fun with every now and again, and you can buy all that.
1: Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Um, all right, Rob Keys. Uh, yeah, I mean, in essence, it's it's hard not to agree with what you guys are saying. Uh, but let me take you back. Let me take you back to little Rob Keys in the early 90s. <laughs> um, and it's funny, because before we recorded this, you know, last week we were talking about watching the OG Top Gun, which I did. Um Again, uh, but that movie was like pretty special for me as a kid, and I'm I'm sure it's for you guys, or you know, maybe as well. But I remember, and I still have it the original, original, original VHS, and it was the first movie. Like my dad set up this old school we're talking like '91 like surround sound with these long ass little wires and little <laughs> little black speaker boxes in the back of the room, so we can watch it on our 27 inch like tube cube TV. <laughs> um, and I had the original print DVD. I had the original Blu rays. Um, but yeah, I'll never forget. That was like the first and only film as a kid watching it in surround sound. And and, and that, that intro, man, when they're playing that music and they're launching the F-14 Tomcats off the aircraft carrier. And as a kid, it blew my mind more than almost any movie. Like, you know, a few movies had that effect. You know, like the first Matrix had that effect. Star Wars did. And Top Gun, like, really had an effect on me to the point where, like, I got obsessed playing flight sims on my old 286 and 486 early Pentium PCs. And that got me into like the star Wars flight sim games and wing commander starlancer freelancer. Um, And and the funny thing is I played this game back um, again, probably 91, 92 era. And again, is a game that came out a year after original Top Gun, 1987. It was called F-19, something fighter stealth fighter and it's the f-19 for those who don't know i'm getting geeky here this is a plane that's never really been officially recognized as a real stealth fighter yet they made this game on it and the beginning of this movie it's it's tom cruise's maverick we see him as a test pilot this is what his career has led him to and he's flying this a like, crazy futuristic dark star prototype plane trying to hit mach 10 the chassis of this plane the design of it is almost like that f-19 hmm. from this game i played the year Like you know, after Top Gun came out, the year was running in theaters, and I thought, "Oh man, it's funny how this all goes full full circle, thirty plus years later." Um, But man, that that whole thing um, was really really cool, and I I like seeing like how they not only modernize like the planes are going to be flying in the bulk of the film, but like that go in the beginning, like they're really pushing the military forward with this like this 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 test jet, which is by the way based on a real like SR seventy two plane that was announced years ago from, I think, Lockheed Martin. And, and, uh, um, what a, what a cool way to start, start this thing off when amazing visuals. And he's like, looks like he's going to space. Um, but yeah, man, I, I, I that was an, a, one of a few pleasant surprises in this film. But, um, uh, another thing is because my dad they introduced me to this film, uh, Pre-pandemic, I had spoken to Paramount. My goal, and Ben, I think I told you this a long time ago, I was going to take my dad to the premiere like back then. Right, um, right. Then a funny thing happened, and you know, it never worked out. But anyways, um, I don't know. You guys were talking about star ratings. Like, I don't know how many stars – uh, qualifies for like, this is the perfect fucking theater experience, but that's what this is. Um, it's somehow across the board. And there's a lot of interviews of Kaczynski and, and, and the cast talking about this. They recreate so many scenes or right, put their spin on it from the first one, from the, from the intro music to the intro text where they explain the top ground, top gun program to that, that nice beautiful sun morning dusk shot of planes, launching off the thing to the same music cues. And it's beat for beat. Like, you know, the, they recreated like their own version of the, sweaty, greasy volleyball scene. Now it's like beach two-way football. and But it, yeah. it, it always works. It always works. Um, and maybe, I don't know if it's the Macquarie factor, because he's one of the three writers on this, but like something about his movies, and you see this in Mission Impossible, of course, but uh, across the board in his career, they take little moments, little background characters, or little tiny scenes, and it's always memorable in a weird way. Like in, in this movie, an example is like Tom Cruise walking in, seeing the dog. And he just like him looking at yeah. the dog. And there's an extra moment there. Or like background characters. And Kofi mentioned the cameo from uh, Ed Harris up front. But it's, it's everyone. And it's the same thing where you get these antagonists, just like the original movie. You have the Iceman, Maverick dynamic. And this one, you got Hangman and Rooster. And you got like John Hamm playing his asshole admiral. But these characters who are sort of antagonists, who are kind of assholes, always have a redeeming moment. And they always – We'd love them for what they're doing. And it's so hard to pull it off in movies like this, especially in ensembles where there's so many characters who get little time, but they always have a moment. And there's something about them where they they always get that third dimension somehow, whether it's like an in cockpit scene or an extra moment of dialogue or a couple extra hugs in the background of a shot. Like, I don't know how he, how he does that. Like just so much care and attention to detail and all these little things behind the spectacle and that's that really makes it stand out and um in terms of the larger plot and the larger beats and the larger character moments like i oh, was tearing up like almost three times during this movie and it, it seems like not necessarily would work in in other films or other genres so um pretty pretty fucking wild um but yeah man let's just talk about the spectacle of it i mean it, it's been very well documented how they use like real f-18 hornets and they pay like 11 or 12 grand per hour to use these things and tom cruise actually fly these Flies these things, and you put all the young cast through like the fucking ringer feeling like crazy G Force to fly these things for real. And like, you know, I gotta imagine, man, these people at like Disney and Lucasfilm and Patty Jenkins are watching this movie and they're like, holy fuck, how are we ever gonna make Rogue Squadron? Like, you don't, yeah, you're not even playing in the same goddamn league over there, man. Like, holy shit. Um, but yeah, man, and and uh, uh, before we get into like, more spoiler stuff, I'll say this, like, um. I love the bait and switch of the like Val Kilmer death thing. Like yeah. you, you see the trailers and all this marketing, like, Oh, he's going to be in it, but it's gonna be a funeral scene. You'll see pictures of him, but he was in it more than I thought. And these scenes totally worked and I still felt it. And that was an awesome way to do that. And then, um, you think with all the setup and going to the third act, there's going to be other, deaths and they play it differently which is kind of nice and then um i love how it plays it kind of straight as a three-act film and then like halfway through the third act you get like this i'm not going to call it a fourth act because it plays well into the third act but yeah this third act part two well where you could tell tom cruise and kaczynski were like all right now let's have some fucking fun for the fans and like just crazy shit happens and like man those fifth generation russian fighters they're doing the crazy maneuvers and they get the tomcat back like holy fuck like Amazing, amazing, amazing sequences. The character stuff totally works. Jennifer Connelly has this like kind of a newer but you know referred to love interest. Like it totally works. What a cool character. All, all the I was like, I was so iffy at some of the younger pilots, but they they like all of them across the board in the end. I'm like, yeah, they all worked, they all did their job and they're and they're awesome. And I kind of want to see I'll end this by saying I, I want to see all of them back. And given the success of this film, not just critically, it's crushing it in reviews, which is amazing, but it's it's setting records for paramount at the box office. So now I'm like, yeah. Holy fuck. Now, like, you can't stop Tom Cruise. You got to keep doing Mission Impossible. You got to keep doing Tom, uh, fucking Top Gun now. And and who would have fucking thought this 10 years ago, right? Holy shit. So, um, man, man, this is a fucking movie, boys. Oh, I was so excited. Uh, and one of those movies that works for everyone. Like, new people can come in and watch this. And, and my audience, like so many others, had a bunch of, like, older couples and, and father and son dynamics and all these cool things. Like, I had not seen in the theater you know, even pre-pandemic, like that's been such a long time feeling that with a
0: like an all generational crowd. You know, that was cool. So, um, yeah, the screening. Is this, I don't know if it was this way for yours. Well, you guys actually just both saw it. You did you end up seeing it a screening, Kofi, or did you see you you went and paid to see it? I went to a screening, but it was a also crowd screening as well okay gotcha yeah the the screening that i was at it was cool they had a lot of like they were giving a lot of tickets away to like ex-military and military people and stuff and there was like a dude oh, there yeah. that like flies the planes into like freaking hurricanes and stuff like weather <laughs> you know it was like they were going through some of people did and i was like they were like we have a real pilot and then he was like talking about what he does and i was like oh my god that's amazing like you know i was sitting here like reviewing movies or something like just the balls on that guy you know like, you
1: you guys have like a crazy air force base museum out there in colorado right like yeah, my, my there's mom, a, yeah. mom went there i think yeah yeah
0: yeah there's a yeah there's an air force base out here near colorado springs yeah that makes sense um, um oh
1: i have a question for you guys did you guys have that preamble like just before the film starts for my screening it had tom cruise looking at the camera like basically thanking the cast and crew and yeah, talking about yeah, like, how we made this for you
0: yeah that was kind of neat too so yeah respect but uh yeah that was cool um so well, I guess that raises like an interesting question and then maybe we can geek out about a few things and then, you know, move on to the next topic. But like, I mean, Rob, you're saying you want to see these guys back. If they did another Top Gun movie, is there any chance that it is like as good as this one? Like how much is this we're reliant on the nostalgia and on the fact it's been gone for 25 years and, and everything that or 30 years? that uh you know that's yeah, a good question um it, i don't
1: know and i think they that's the same dilemma they're having to like we we can do it we, we what kind of one like what are we gonna do with these airplanes you haven't seen before and and two like what kind of story make kind of makes sense but um yeah i don't know man we're doing mission impossible seven and eight and that shit's rocking like that franchise yeah. is, to me the best ongoing film franchise like ever like it's still going and and I, I'm, yeah. I'm sad we may see the end of that but um this dynamic of people, this group of people, Kaczynski, McCory, Tom, like they just, they're fucking matches together. I loved Oblivion when Kaczynski worked with Tom Cruise. Yeah, Oblivion. So, um, I, I'm sure there's some, I would love to see something, but, I, you know, what kind of conflict they can create for that, I don't know. But man, I, I just, the selfish me is like, I want to fucking see more of this, you know, that feeling. So.
0: Yeah, I liked, I liked all the, like, I liked a lot of the new pilots and stuff. I thought Monica. Barbaro, as like Phoenix, was awesome, you know, and like Bob was great. And yeah, I mean, there were some really great characters in there. And even, you know, even the characters that you're supposed to not, you know, you know, like that much or whatever, right? Like, what's uh, I forget, Glenn the hangman, yeah. hangman, that's right. Yeah, Glenn Powell's hangman. Yeah, it's like, you know, by the end, like when he's coming, like saving their bacon at the end, I mean, it all it does such a good job of being a crowd pleaser because I don't know, okay, well, you know, sliding into like spoilers when that a helicopter gets blown to shit when it's about to take That is one of the coolest explosions that I've seen in a movie. And one of the most just like satisfying (laughs) moments, because you know, you're in an IMAX theater after this pandemic where there haven't been any movies that really did justice in IMAX and stuff. And like that just like, it felt like that like reverberated throughout the crowd and was just such a pleasing moment. And then they have like those great moments in the forest and stuff together that are a little bit comic-y and, just so, so cool. And then sliding into the, you know, just nostalgia blowout that you were talking about. Um, it's a different
1: movie, those last 15, 20 minutes. Like, the, yeah. it's, I'm of two minds. One, as soon as he, like, makes the sacrifice play, that's, I mean, everyone yeah. expects this, right? It's a suicide mission. It's been 36 years in the making making. Tom Cruise's whole life has been building about making up for what he did to Rooster and that family and making yeah. up what he did to Goose, right? So it totally makes sense. He does a sacrifice play, his beautiful fucking shot where he uses his flares to save a Rooster. His plane blows up. You never see a parachute or an ejection. They, yeah. they hide that from the audience. And then he just wakes up in the snow and you're like, wait a second, what is it? He's just like behind enemy lines here. Like, wait, yeah. what a weird thing. And it, it almost becomes, it becomes like this weird, different adventure movie. Um, and then my only nitpick with this film is that turning point and not, I love that they're. Taking us for a ride, and like, this is just going to be fun time adventure mode now. But I don't like this is when they start fucking with the audience, right? They start hiding stuff from the audience. Yeah, like, yeah, for sure. Obviously, they hid that Tom Cruise survived. They hid that Rooster had disobeyed an order and turned around when they just had yeah. an establishing shot of the whole crew and the carrier following him on the radar. And it's like, okay, I get it. They're playing for surprises now. And that keeps happening. It's Hangman sitting on the runway, not allowed to take off. And then all of a sudden, he's in the air yeah, saving yeah. the day. And it's like, to me, It's annoying they don't show us that, but the payoff is worth it, so it makes sense. And I'm game. I'm in it it for like... There's like three bait-and-switch moments where like an explosion happens and our hero's okay. And it's like, okay, I'm in it because it's Tom Cruise. He's earned it, you know? The shit they did not leading up to this moment earned that. But to your point about Hangman, even before he saves the day and he's keeping his cocky attitude, like his moments with Rooster where he's like, hey man, you gotta come home, right? Even though they they hated each other, it seems that they hated each other. And I love that because it's like a... An even better version of like the Iceman Maverick, uh you know, early third act stuff in the original Top Gun where like he really feels for him after the goose fall, right? So yeah. Um and I love that they're like the best buddies now. Like Iceman has been saving Maverick's career ever since that. So yeah. um yeah, cool fucking moment.
0: That was yeah, I think I was very skeptical about the Iceman thing when he was texting him at the bar. And I there was a moment where I was like It would be so uncharacteristic of Tom Cruise to pull something like that, where the only time we're really getting to see this character is, you know, in text messages. And that's like, you know, I don't know. That's like something that, you know, you see in TV movies or something like that. And you keep
1: mentioning, like Iceman comes up in every conversation, but you're always meeting a different admiral or his partner or someone else. You know what I mean? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So it felt like when there was this tech stuff, you know, I was a bit like, oh my God, I hope they really pay this off. And we actually see him. And then when you go there, that scene is just so like sweet and like endearing and just so cool. And also just knowing, you know, the story behind Val Kilmer and like what he's gone through and him getting to come back and do this role and, you know, have kind of like his own struggle a little bit portrayed in a in what I think is a relatively like respectful and satisfying way where it's not like he's voiceless or something. It's like they have this kind of shorthand with each other where he can type these few things on a computer screen and you know, it kind of triggers Maverick and like Maverick understands like, you know, what everything that's sort of underneath all of those kind of like simple little phrases that are coming up. And like, and not just that, those two, even Val Kilmer for what he's got to work with there in the, in the,
1: scene, like they're just two guys sitting in chairs for like yeah. 10 minutes. And like Tom Cruise cries and they like, deliver such a performance and Val Kilmer, like is like the mannerisms he puts into the scene. Like they did such a, I wonder how much work went to like how many shots to make that work. Cause like, it's, it's very emotional and they still have comedic payoff somehow. But um, again, another wonderfully written scene. Um, Not many actors can do that either. So,
0: yeah. Um, Yeah. I would like to see more of this again. And I, I think I mentioned that in the review that they like, they now have like a reinvigorated franchise on their hands and like, it could go very poorly depending on. Yeah you know, who decides to be involved? Like if Kaczynski doesn't want to come back and, you know, like Cruz has less. Well, I mean, Cruz always has a lot of creative control over his movies, but like, you know, there's like, I mean, whatever the factors are, I could still see a version of this where like, people were like, maybe they should have stopped at the, at the revival sequel or something, but I, I still like these characters enough that I would want to see them again. And I would be very curious to to see what that movie looks like. But
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously there's going to be a studio-driven reason to like want to push forward with sequels, no, given right. the success yeah. of this. And, to, you know, even the original Top Gun, which, by the way, was the most biggest box office film of that year in 86. Like, it's shocking it took this long to get here, right? When you think about it right. from just a business standpoint. But think of the cultural, like, impact and the zeitgeist that that had i mean i i was gonna say this earlier but like i i'll never forget like in high school going to like with sega beach and we played volleyball and there's people there with all wear shirts with like top gun code names on them and they all have the aviators and yeah. i don't think i've ever played a year of like beach volleyball in the summer where one of the teams was not named after some kind of top gun reference so it's like it's yeah, such yeah. a thing everybody knows so um yeah. i wonder if this would do that for these younger actors and in a similar way probably not because maverick's still the star but um I don't know, man. I, this is such a wild success. <clears throat> well, I, I kinda... think that's the good thing. I've
2: been on the sidelines. I'm in terrible pain. But uh, right now, I would think that – I think this movie lives up to being what's, what we now call a legacy sequel. And yeah. I don't think it's a reboot. And I think people have been debating this, but I don't think it's a reboot. I think it's actually a closing chapter, and it kind of, you know, makes it – puts it out there that this could go on but i think if this continues then you get all kinds of complicated things about how long will these people even be flying planes before they get replaced like all that stuff at one point we all thought that could be a top gun 2 story about you know people getting grounded and having to move to like unmanned drones and stuff like that and what that all would be like but i don't think we want to get into that i think you have it's like don't get caught up in 80s nostalgia and start making those crazy, terrible sequels. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, (laughs) like you made a perfect legacy sequel and like that honors and says something about legacy and cinema and has this perfect spot in time. Don't, don't fuck it up. Yeah.
1: This is the time to go James Cameron, you know? Yeah. (laughs) True. I, I agree. It works as a perfect finale, but it also works in a way where like, it ends in such a happy note. Like everybody's still there. Like everybody survived the craziest mission ever, which to me was such a the most surprising creative decision. I thought for sure there would be losses in this mission, if not Maverick himself, right? Especially if they're yeah. naming the film after him. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I mean, part of me is like, yeah. I mean, they're never going to top this film, probably, right? How, how would they? I can't fathom. I, I don't know how anyone could fathom beating or doing something more impressive than this at this time. But this movie just made like hundred fucking over five days or whatever. So it's like, how are they? You know, Paramount's begging Tom to do more. I'm sure, in some way. But you know, you're right. It, it is the perfect legacy sign of the sequel. But I don't know.
0: Hollywood is different.
1: So it's all about True. IP.
0: Sure. Uh, Bashir Saladin also as a uh, Hondo. Hondo. A oh yeah. That guy was so, when he shows up and initially he's just, you know, working on like the stealth plane with him and they're, you know, they're doing that test. <laughs> and then he actually shows up. I, like I had already been so endeared to him, like in that opening set piece, when he actually shows up and I was like, oh, he's actually in the rest of this movie. I was so pumped because that was uh, he was like the perfect. Oh, Tom Cruise
2: knows how to give good black sidekicks in these movies. <laughs> 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 the sheer and the guy, the uh, more like the stone face dude who like oh, Warlock. Yeah. Warlock. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, those two dudes like anchored this film. I haven't seen a black yeah, guy anchor sure. films this
0: well since Get Out. <laughs> well, i mean especially because you have like john ham running around doing like the john ham thing of just looking intense and pissed yeah, off and everybody yeah That's exactly it. like i mean he works in this film but like he works because you have other people who can emote like other emotions other than frustration like around him at any given time um but yeah, no, I mean, you know, shout out to the cast and and everybody on this one, because it, it really was really was great. I, uh, I definitely enjoyed it. I think uh, I I am in the camp of like, I kind of hope they stop here just because it's like this was such a special experience, I feel like for a lot of people. But I mean, I would love to see some of these characters back. So I don't know how they do it, but I would watch like a spin-off that's like, you know, the rogue squadron of freaking Top Gun where all these you know, kids go out and have to run a mission or something. Um, and Miles Teller also, I mean, I, you know, we should say that scene with him playing the piano and stuff is so like, I don't know, that hit me, that really like connected the two to me. I felt like, and like Tom having these, you know, Maverick having these like flashbacks to goose and stuff, like they did a really, really good job. And you were saying that Kofi, like, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing like extraneous here. Like everything is really tight that communicates, and brings you on board with the emotion of kind of that the dilemma there that exists between the two of them in just like a very, very simple and subtle way.
2: Well that's it's, uh, that whole scene's great because it does all the character dynamics. It does it with him and Rooster, and then it sets up when Jennifer Connolly, which I thought oh, I was like, oh man, this is, I knew this movie was gonna be good, is when they then cut to her seeing him outside. And realizing, yeah. like, underneath his bravado, like, he's really fucked up, like, yeah, yeah, and he's, like, really damaged and, like, all that stuff. And it was like, oh, man, this is just good. Shit's getting deep.
0: Yeah. That yeah, was <laughs> good. Um, well, yeah, I would love to talk about this movie for, you know, for a while longer. But we have two other big topics that we want to get to. So um, let's go to Obi-Wan Kenobi because we just had Star Wars Celebration. Um, you know, Rob, I know you... You know, you and the team at Screen Rant have been punching out content, comic books punching out content, Kofi, like on all this stuff. Some big announcements, some things happened. Um, so, but I am curious how you guys are feeling about this show because, um, and how you're feeling about Star Wars, you know, on Disney Plus, especially, I think, you know, going forward. Because this, I think this thing does a lot of things really well. And then I think it does some things not super well. And so that does seem kind of reflective of the state of this franchise in general. So I'm curious what you guys have thought about this thing.
2: Oh, Robert, you remember when you thought a spinning shot was going to be the worst thing you saw in Star Wars TV? Oh, man, don't even get me started. <laughs> you remember that? You remember those yeah, times?
1: Man. Oh, dude. When you were like, oh,
2: away. my God, a spinning shot. What's happened to Star Wars? <laughs> remember that? Oh, yeah, I kept thinking right. of you. I kept thinking of you every time I was watching Obi-Wan. I was like... <laughs> Really, Rob? <laughs> this is what you thought was going to be the worst thing? Have, uh, have you heard, heard a line? Have you heard a line things. from Third Sister?
0: Uh, <laughs> oh man, yeah, Third Sister
1: is. What about your side jumping off the rooftops and then back flipping into a forward roll for <gasps> <reason>. <laughs> 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 the parkour?
0: The parkour off the rooftop things is is bonkers. I, Some I, of the worst yeah. shit I've ever seen <laughs> in a fan film. Uh, look here's what i'll say because you
2: know people know me as a star wars fan so i'm just gonna keep it real and i said this is my review for uh, comicbook.com and basically the first part of the first most of the first episode of obi-wan is exactly what i wanted it's it's logan like with obi-wan and it it really examines a period in his life that we are all kind of, it's become as the franchise expands and you get more about this character in his younger years and novels and comics and movies and TV shows. Like it is, it became increasingly interesting the whole idea of him having to sit on Tatooine for all these like decades and trying to keep the faith in this very dark time. And like, what was that like? And you know, what did that do to you? Like, and so as a character study, like the first part of this is great. And I thought, I mean, my favorite thing in this whole like two hours slog was just that scene in the marketplace with the Inquisitors and uncle and uh, Uncle Owen. Yeah. And that kind of illustrated like in the epitome of what I wanted to see from this series was, you know, when Owen holds it down even harder than like Obi-Wan and doesn't give him up and all that stuff. And, you know, knowing all these decisions, how they lead to what it takes to create the hope of a new hope and all that, like Rogue One feeds into it. Like I was in, I'm like, I'm into that. What I'm getting kind of tired of with Star Wars TV is the bait and switch. You know, we're talking about bait and switch like this. Every Star Wars TV show now seems to be coming at us with the name of a character as, as like the title thing before it takes us to another character that yeah. they're sharing screen time with all of a sudden. And it's always like, kind of like this, what the fuck moment every time it happens, even if it's good stuff, even if it is Luke and Grogu, we're going to be spending some time. It's still kind of like, what the fuck is happening? Like, and what show am I watching? And so like, we're in Obi-Wan, we, we can't even get through episode one, but it's okay. Cause I love Jimmy Smith. Jimmy Smith can, you know, he makes anything work yeah. and young lay is okay. Like that actress is doing okay for a kid, you know, for a child actress, but, um, Yeah, by episode two, I'm just like, what is this now? Now we're just, like, entering these new halls of canon. They're confusing canon. Like, shit's, like, so confused. Everybody who watched Star Wars Rebels is just, what the fuck at the end of episode two? (laughs) When you cast the Grand Inquisitor as, you know, not just cast, but, like, Rupert Friend, and then, like... He's getting impaled by Reva. Now I think the show part of me thinks the show is going to be all about revealing like, well, Grand Inquisitor was always like a clone because there is stuff where like Darth Vader keeps him alive after he's killed in rebels and all this stuff. But I think they're yeah. going to be like he's a clone and we were messing with clones because Star Wars TV is all about them clones and f- explaining that fucking Palpatine shit and rise of Skywalker somehow some way <laughs> one day. Um, Yeah, and so like, yeah, it's just it's all over the place, and I was kind of surprised because I had of all the directors, I had a lot of faith in Deborah Chow, and and I don't think there's some stunt work stuff that I know is rough during the COVID stuff, but like, you know, like yeah, there's just it's really scattered in from what should be a straightforward series and like really easy to execute, and I think like. The, the simplicity of the Mandalorian is one of its greatest assets we're finding out. Like Book of Boba Fett and this, and I and so far I looked at Book of Boba Fett's first two episodes better than these two, I'll be honest with you. Oh wow. And um But they're overcomplicating it. Like, you know, going back and forth with the flashbacks and the bank and the back to flashbacks, you know, in Boba Fett and now kind of this and the con. Leia and Obi-Wan had a road trip together when she was young stuff. It's just like, we are really overcomplicating this. Like fans just want to come and see some, some gap fills. You could have just made this four episodes and, and <laughs> we would have been just as happy if it was just like two episodes of Obi-Wan build up and then being like, all right, I'm going to go Oh, He learns about Vader. I'm going to go get this Vader dude. I'm going to go see Vader. And then yeah. I'm going to fight Vader. Like I think,
0: yeah, I think uh I think I liked it more than you did ultimately, but I do have a similar cause I I, I enjoyed kind of the Logan Obi-Wan opening stuff. I didn't mind Leia like you're saying Leia is the actress. I had questions about, you know, why they're doing these things that ultimately like undermine their own canon. Like it is very clear at the beginning of episode four that like she has never met Obi Wan, right? When she said, "I mean that message that she puts into R two is like one of the most like, not like most like quotable things out of Star Wars, but I think pe- most people could recite that, you know. I mean, it's not it's not some just like offhand thing. That's a big thrust of the initial part of that, you know, that trilogy and everything. So it it is weird to me that, and you know, and Kathleen Kennedy just came out. You know, two weeks ago, and was talking about how the biggest. We didn't talk about this on the show. We almost thought about talking about, I think, on the podcast, but how like they just learned the wrong thing from Solo, because they were saying, you know, you shouldn't recast any of these iconic actors. And it's like, yeah, this is a significantly younger Leia for sure. You're not going to de-age, you know, a a Carrie Fisher-like CGI character or something into this. But at the same time, like. It is what is, I think my biggest issue, and I think it's kind of, I'm, you know, I'm sort of circling it, I guess, is that I, this galaxy is so big and we've said this, you, like the three of us have been saying this for 10 years now, and (laughs) it's like, this galaxy is so big. Like, why do you always have to tell Skywalker stories? Like everything just keeps, like, you just keep pulling like Luke and Leia back into this thing when you're when you have these spin-off shows that are attempting to actually like step away from that. And I get that Obi-Wan is tasked with protecting, you know, Luke and by some extension Leia as well. But like the Obi-Wan story, I think a lot of us wanted was one that didn't have to do with them where he had to kind of step away from guarding Luke to go deal with the fact that Vader was back or something, you know, which is maybe where this is going, but like what purpose ultimately does the Leia story serve as much as I like the actress. And, you know, it's, it's kind of an interesting way of, of baiting like Obi-Wan out. Like there had to have been a better way of accomplishing the same thing without, you know, feeling like you had to rely on one of the original trilogy characters to like do that. And I don't, I don't understand why they keep doing that. I was not a huge fan of the, you know, Luke and Grogu sort of tangent, the Mandalorian tangent and Boba book of Boba Fett either. Even though it was a nice break from the book of Boba Fett because the book of Boba Fett was, you know, worse than that. But it, it kind of is just like, what are these shows about if they all have to keep coming back to these these trilogy characters that we're trying to get away from? That's what Clone Wars and I think Rebels did so well, was that it just, it really got away from these characters to some extent, Um and obviously, like Clone Wars was, you know, before Luke and Leia existed, but there were entire episodes of that series where it was just C3PO and, you know, R2D2 off on just some weird adventure or something. that didn't have any of these people, any of the Jedi's in them or anything. And I don't understand why th- these live action series feel so beholden to those things. Because um, I don't know that it's adding anything ultimately. It's starting yeah. to dilute it to the extent that, like, when one of these characters comes up, like, I'm just kind of like, like, I don't feel like it's special. I almost feel like it's a distraction from the thing that I want to be seeing, which is something unique and fresh. Um, I mean, when Luke showed up at the end of the Mandalorian, like that was dope because we didn't think it was going to connect, you know? And it felt like, oh, he's coming in, he's going to do something. But now that they're all just cameoing camoing all the time, it, I don't know. It it does feel like something else is kind of missing here. Um. Yeah. I mean, it's a layer of an ongoing
1: problem where it's like they're obsessed with the Skywalker saga and all like the fingers it has everywhere. But they're also still basing every story or launching every story out of Tatooine or anchoring every story in Tatooine, which yeah. is I, – I was done with this planet 20 fucking years ago with the video games. Every goddamn video game had to have some kind of Tatooine thing just because, because it's like, remember that desert planet? It's like, yeah, we know where the Jawas <laughs> are. It's like, move yeah. move along. like. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, after you know the Mando obsession with it, um, and of course the Book of Fett, some for some reason telling its whole story on Tatooine, which is just absurd. And then this is starting there, and then yeah, uh, I'm actually surprised with what you guys are saying, but I I agree. I I, I have um, a lot of issues with this. It, it's weird. It's like it's so easy to nitpick Star Wars because you we know, were so deep in. There's so many different things. People have different interpretations of canon. They're they're potentially breaking canon or not in this one a little bit. They're probably not. There's some weird explanation, I'm sure. Um, But this entire show is like the most nitpick worthy. There's like, I'm, I'm I'm trying to look at it from the opposite perspective. Like what, what what are the great things in this, in this show? And I'm like, well, so far nothing. I mean, I kind of like, I don't know much want to get into the timing of the show, but like, you know, the, uh, the intro, the cold open with the order 66 thing, which made me feel weird, um, but it was a great sequence. You know what I mean for what it was. And I was like, oh wow, they really yeah. put some effort into that. And like, it was one of those scenes where like you see this Jedi protecting kids, and she's going crazy with, with her lightsaber. But every lightsaber swing mattered. Every lightsaber swing deflected or was an attack, and she took hits. And it's like that's okay, cool. You made an erratic lightsaber scene, kind of makes sense. Um, yeah. and then right away we bring in the inquisitors who I've always had a problem with, cause I think they're absurd characters, but they kind of made, they, they paid some of them off in the, in the animated series in a big way by putting in the work and time. Right. But in, in this, um, <laughs> the, <laughs> I love Rupert friend. Um, yeah. but man, when he's walking around with that costume, it's like some horrid cosplay, but then when you see him up close and you see his eyes and you hear him talk. And I, I thought, okay, his voice and his dialogue is actually pretty great. I'm into this. Just don't, just don't do any wide shots him walking around or fighting. Um, yeah. And then Soon Kang, who I also love from Fast and Furious, and he's playing the fifth brother, and he's doing like this Christian Bale Batman voice impression. And you're like, oh boy, this is not working. Which leads us to like the star of this thing, uh, Reva, or the third sister, or whatever. And yeah. They are going to do some – they're going to have to put some work in to explain why she's so obsessively overly aggressive to the point where she's running around screaming, I'm going to cut your hands off. I'm going to kill this person's family. <laughs> I love Vader. Like, I mean it's what? kind of like on the table. <laughs> it's, she's one of the Padawans from the beginning. She's one of the kids from the beginning, of course. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And why the is the she And yeah.
2: this? I mean the Inquisitors were created in other media of Star Wars and that's where they've existed like you know, almost exclusively. And with good reason, like they're awesome in games, they're awesome in animated series, and they're awesome in books and and comics because you can and all of these things have done great inquisitor stories over the last few years. But um, yeah, I mean, those they're creatures that are hard to get right in live action on a TV budget. Um, Absolutely. You can't just do the makeup. It has to be kind of makeup that you can. I mean, the last Star Wars characters get away with putting on prosthetics that they don't have to do a lot of action movement in yeah right So, um yeah and so like yeah this is kind of a weird look for the inquisitors because the whole thing with them that is good and and kind of awesome is how smart they are i mean jedi hunting isn't just like a physical thing with lightsabers it's also kind of a mind game and you saw that in the market like the way the grand inquisitor votes do things versus you know reva and her their whole tactics but What's interesting about them is how they break Jedi and and convert them to the dark side. And yeah. that's essentially what they are is they're just Palpatine's like little fucking fuckboy puppets. That's, that's all he cares about them. I mean, if you read Darth Vader comics, it's a whole – there's a whole arc where he, you know, goes up against the Inquisitors because he's like, man, fuck you. You're not taking my job. And they're like, well, fuck you too. And so they all <laughs> rumble and like – But that's what it is. It's Palpatine's. They're not powerful enough to be Sith Lords or he doesn't trust them to like give them or to open them to that side, but they're powerful enough for users in the dark side that he can kind of manipulate them to hunt Jedi and always keep them competing with one another. That's why they, that's why she is kind of like that with Grand Inquisitor because you know, Palpatine loves to do that shit. He loves to instigate people. So chaos in his own people and like, that's what he does, and so like all that stuff is interesting about the Inquisitors that they've boiled it
1: down to. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they're t- to me they've never been that awesome. It's just and it's because I I I do not and I hate subscribing to the idea that in this era of Star Wars post Order sixty six there is an infinite supply of dark force and light force users with lightsabers. And most of them will visit Tatooine at some point. Um, You know what I mean? We'd be another Jedi who's like running on Tatooine. You know what I mean? It's just, it's endless. And I also, you know me, I I get very angsty about these gimmicks and I I can't fucking stand these like spinning circle lightsaber things they have. It's just, I I don't know. None of it really works for me. It's cool. I guess they're taking so many things now from animation and putting it it, I should say not just putting it, fast-tracking it to the first possible show as they're doing at Disney+. Plus, um, yeah. But it's not worth it. I'd much rather see them take something that has nothing to do with this, even if it means, and we joked about this on Twitter, like, this Dash Rendar stuff. Like, just do some other yeah. story. Or take inspiration from the, you know, the other games, like the Dark Forces stuff, which, again, that bled into a Jedi stuff, too. But, like, man, just do something different where there's different villains, different parts of the galaxy, and it doesn't have to do with, like, vader's puppets or Palpatine's secret puppets or these puppets fighting other puppets to get the old puppet it's like man move on guys we're, we're done with this and we're getting there i think with some of these other celebration announcements maybe you know and they're really right. trying to push forward with the higher higher public stuff which is big they're going into phase two of that publishing initiative which is based you know centuries before the the films as we know them so um we'll see but um yeah. And, uh, one more, you know, nitpick. I hate to be constantly negative. Like I'm kind of in it cause I like you and McGregor. The only reason the show exists is because look, everybody likes the prequel people. Now we put in five years of work trying to redo Hayden's image and everyone just loves this shit now. So we'll put them in the show any way we can. We'll delay the show because it's too similar to Mando and we'll just switch it to Leia. And this is what it is. Um, but man, like even they, they tried to make Tatooine look more real than they did in the book of Boba Fett. Um, I, they didn't quite get there. And then this other, the good thing is they leave the planet finally, but this other planet where they're on in this marketplace, and there's a scene where I mean, Obi-Wan's chasing Leia. Cyberpunk
0: 2099 planet. <laughs> sort of, so but
1: me. yeah, that's definitely the vibe, right? Um, Leia distrusts. Obi-Wan is running away through the market. It's another wonderful Leia chase sequence where everyone's moving in slow motion and walking into <laughs> objects. Uh, just, oh God. Um, but if you watch it closely, it's, it's following, uh, Ewan McGregor's from the front and he literally walks in a circle. It's because the set they're on is so fucking small and you uh. look at the extras and the tables and they're all just like stationary. And it's so like, they're wearing costumes that look, look like they're made the day before. And it's it just looks so artificial and not well-developed. And then the background shots keep fuzzing out. It just, it just looks so fake. And it really stands out in contrast when compared to, to bring it back to celebration, we saw the Andor trailer with Tony Gilroy. And it's like a tone setting piece. Basically every shot is like a real location with it. What appears to be people that live in this real location. You know what I mean? There's such a difference in talent and and detail and the work put into these things, um, on these non show shows are not entirely shot in the volume. Right. Um, with all CGI backgrounds, like they, they gotta get away from that, man. And again, we just talked about our praises for, for Top Gun and using real spaces and real things and real objects. And it's, there's a stark difference between like the talent behind those shows. And maybe it's because Tony Gilroy doesn't like Star Wars. He was very honest about that. When he came in to save Rogue One, he just treated it like a battle for Britain type movie. You know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah. What, 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 like seeing that trailer and seeing all his other shit. And it's like, Oh my God, like, this it's the same problem i'm having with the marvel studio shows right they keep punching out these six and seven out of ten shows that feel cheaper and rushed and they just like they're making so much content so quickly and they're taking they they had this beautiful piece of technology that was used to enhance like the interior shots of the million falcon and then john frau did wonders with this technology to make like the lion king and other stuff that they've turned it into like this is everything has to be done here now This is the crutch and and we can just fix everything in post. We'll change everything in post and we'll just do it quick. And we'll spend such little time designing a chase sequence where a girl runs through a forest. You know what I mean? And it's like, it really shows. Um, And it's a shame because they have, they have, they're they're making innovations of technology and filmmaking, which are so impressive, but they're doing fuck all with it half the time. And it's really depressing. And it's, and we can talk about COVID all day, but there's so many other shows coming out right now with chase sequences, space scenes, all the worldly characters and Star Wars and Marvel are really like under delivering versus what all the streaming networks are putting up. Um and but you know, I'll go back to my original point. I, I you know I'm in it. I wanna see where this goes. I, I do like the bold, somewhat bold decision to keep you and not you and McGregor, but keep Obi Wan as a character who's kinda not likable. In the first two episodes he is that reluctant Logan style character. We keep saying Logan, but it's true. He's 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 so disconnected with the universe, he has no idea uh, He's so buried in guilt. He probably has no idea the repercussions and what him and his Jedi failed at years earlier. And like the little scenes of him like riding the transport to and from work or him saving meat for a space camel. It's like these scenes kind of work. I like that. Um, and I like that the, the first two episodes stick with that. He's even reluctant to help with Leia. He doesn't want to do shit. He's, he's ready to let fucking Uncle Owen die. You know what I mean? Because um, he's so afraid. Uh, yeah. And that's cool because, because we know in Act 2 or Act 3, in the next couple episodes, he'll unleash – Clone Wars Obi-Wan and we'll get to see him kick ass shit. So I'm in it for that and that payoff, but all the story and character arc stuff, man, I'm, I'm already kind of clocking out on that, you know? So
0: Yeah. And that's the thing is like, as much as I kind of am anxious to see him like snap back into Clone Wars Obi-Wan, I was enjoying, like, I want to sit with his guilt and his, you know, and his kind of disconnect from the world a little bit longer. Like instead the show just kind of makes him like, you know, it's like the reluctant hero stuff, but I don't know. The way it's done doesn't feel like it actually deals with the emotional weight of it. It's more just like, this is an excuse. Like, we need an excuse to get this guy into action because he's sort of resigned himself to this life. And so the only thing that can do that is Leia or something, you know, and, it, and that it feels gimmicky because it feels like they're starting from a place of saying, this is a guy who has given up. Which makes sense in the context of everything that happened, but like, we don't get to sit with that really. Like, we just get him having conversations with everybody saying, I don't want to do this. That isn't who I am anymore. You don't want me. I'm not the guy for the job or whatever. Right. Um, like, I wanted to live with that a little bit longer, even though I didn't want to be on Tatooine all that much longer. <laughs> but um, Oh, how could I forget uh, Kumail Nanjiani? Yes, joined Star Wars, and
1: he plays himself. Oh my yeah. God! What a, he's so typecast, man! What a waste. I thought he was. Yeah. I was hoping for something different than a character who says, "Oh, I'm in, I'm 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 embarrassed. I'm a con artist. Yeah. Look at me." That's oh, that's so cringe. Um,
0: yeah, ah, well, you know, he was fun though. By the end of it, I I was you know at least it wasn't like Try to know, redeem I him, know. I guess. But yeah. yeah. It's like at least it wasn't like I don't know, like Han Solo showed up or something, you know. It was like running yeah, a grift yeah. on this planet or something. Like at least it's like a new character that maybe I can somewhat, somewhat care about. But
1: want to? know we're kind of all poo pooing here on poor Obi Wan. But um, anything you want to highlight from the Star Wars celebration stuff? There's a couple, you know, notable shows they kind of confirmed and announced. Right,
2: Skeleton Crew, bro. No, I'm just kidding. Jude Law um no, yeah. no I, I mean andor was <laughs> i mean for me andor was a highlight it was disappointing that ahsoka is not coming until later but, uh, yeah yeah
1: yeah I we I should say in Mandalorian 3
0: and, ahsoka uh, star wars is still like fuck. star wars movies
1: right yeah <laughs> the, uh, um
0: yeah no i mean there's some cool things here though like i mean they cast sabine right like i i mean i think that's the character that people have been wanting to see in live action and um, yeah,
2: but is it going to turn into like right? a Sabine show, like in the middle? Yeah, there you can see them in yeah. the beginning. There's like a little teaser that may or may not have leaked. Yeah, may or may <laughs> uh, not. Uh, right. Yeah,
1: choppers in it, Harrison Dula's in it, right? So they're bring, yeah. They're basically doing live action Rebels. It sounds like we're setting that up, which is yeah. cool, right? So
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, Rebels is like one of the criminally like underwatched shows of. The, I think you know some people didn't love the animation style and stuff there. I think, but I, I mean, Rebels is great um yeah falls in the same rebels is awesome yeah and it's more like i feel like rebels is even easier to get into than you know i obviously encourage people to slog through the beginning of clone wars so that you can sort of see what it becomes because it becomes really really great and so many of these characters are from that shit but um rebels you know only ended up being like three seasons or something right and i think it was four but yeah uh, yeah i mean it starts out pretty strong like out the gate um like, no, as no, as as is kind of good. Account. I
2: mean, and they built, and there's some key, there's some really key duels and sequences from that show that are, I mean, really important. Yeah. Including Zobi um, one and his final duel with Maul.
1: That's it. Yeah. So, that's a show where they did it their own characters, their own story, their own locations, but they did a smart job of weaving in the bigger stuff from, yeah. you know, the main Star Wars saga, but also from Clone Wars, which is, you know, it, it is a successor to that. And yeah, I mean, I wish these live action shows could, could, pace themselves at the same way and and, and rely on themselves to create characters and give them time, you know, like new characters, right?
0: And like, yeah. And also they were really good at like bringing in underutilized characters. Like at that time, Darth Maul, you know, everybody just wanted more Darth Maul because there was, you know, I mean, he just was unceremoniously offed in in the first thing. And they turned that character into a really, really kind of interesting you know, antagonists throughout, throughout Clone Wars and and everything like that. So, it, and into Rebels and everything. So like I, I don't know. I mean, that you know, I don't know. We can bang on this all day. There are a lot of things that I liked about Obi-Wan. People are going to give us crap because we're being so negative. But I think like, you know, there are things that are, it's great seeing him back. I thought, you know, like um, Joel Edgerton is acting circles around everybody in this show. Yes. In that sequence of his, like he just, like he is bringing, the kind of thing that got him like nominated for Academy awards, basically like to this performance and stuff like that. Um, and I mean that, you know, him and you and McGregor's like interaction is really great. And you know, it's like, that's what I, that's what I kind of wanted to see more of. So I hope there's more of kind of that by the time we get Hayden Christensen, like actually in this, instead of just like opening his eyes in a, in a back to tank or whatever, like I, um, I hope there's enough room for those like kind of more intimate character moments, and it's not just Vader shows up and is I don't know like you know running around like Riva and, and like grunting and just like getting, <laughs> I, I,
2: cutting I just apart a whole thing. transporter capsule before uh, Leia yeah. and Obi Wan can get out the back.
0: Yeah, this is I don't know that whole thing. the The hilarious thing about the end of Episode Two, and then we we should move on to a quick talk about Stranger Things, is like how the Grand Inquisitor comes up. And shows up and basically is like, I'm not going to let you screw this up and let him get away. And then just like, she stabs him and then Obi-Wan just gets away. Like it was kind of like, like, I mean, I get, you know, it's like they're getting in each other's way and that's, he's sort of able to use that to his advantage, but it's like literally the thing that the grand inquisitor was worried about happening happened, but only because the grand inquisitor also showed up and like caused it to happen. Right. Like, it's just such a weird, like, I don't know what they're trying to do with that character because he's so good in, uh, in the animated series and stuff. But, and so, like, I mean, he's in the later in the animated series in Rebels. So, like, he is not dead here, right? He's just no. like impaled and we're okay. Cause that, or what Kofi's saying about cloning could be. Oh, right. That's right. You were, yeah, you were alluding to cloning. That's possible. Yeah. But who knows? Um, yeah. Yeah. Like, that was just so weird. Like, that Well, whole he just thing always
2: was... has this saying, there are worse things than death, is like a big saying with the Inquisitor. That's yeah. true. And I he shows up at some point to fight Luke as, a, again, a trap spirit. He has a duel with Luke, Luke Skywalker in the comics. It's like, dude's around, and he's already
0: all over yeah. canon. So, like, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I am excited to continue watching. Like, I am looking forward to seeing more episodes, but I. I don't know, bro. Just show, tell me when the fight is.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm like hate watching it, it feels like you know because it's star wars you have to follow it and it's like but yeah, i'm not enjoying yeah. it it's the worst show i'm
0: watching you know so i have friends that have like full off like there were big star wars fans that have full off just like like or fall oh, on dude. given up on these my, like
1: yeah a lot of my like high school buddies who love this stuff with me and went to you know saw the prequels with me all this kind of stuff and my brother yeah. they just they, just, they, they, they don't care it's been so run into the ground for them. They just don't care. It's just regular generic other stuff. That's not as good as what they're watching on, again, yeah. any other streaming network. And that exactly, yeah. shouldn't be what Star Wars and Marvel should be. They have so much money and resources and the biggest talent pool on the planet to work from. They literally could do whatever. And they're just like, they're so accepting of subpar content. We see it every year now for a couple of years. And it's, how do you come back from that? If they were so willing to put up shows like this, um, not to keep harping yeah. on the book of a Fett, but like, I mean, that, that's, you know. That's very telling, you know. Yeah. So.
0: The uh, that uh, Star Wars Survivor show, though, or not show, but game, looks sick. Though I'm excited for that. Oh uh, yes, the, uh, the Fallen Jedi sequel. Fallen, Fallen Jedi yeah. was yeah, super dope. I love
2: yeah, that's no, gonna be good. Yeah, I bet if we get lot. Cal Kestis in this show somewhere.
0: Yeah. yeah, right.
1: That could happen. Yeah. Yeah, Cameron, Cameron Monaghan
0: play himself, right? Like, I mean, that guy totally. Like, like he can act so. Um, all right. Well, speaking of other things that other people are watching instead, <laughs> instead of Obi Wan Kenobi, um, Stranger Things is back. Rob hasn't Rob hasn't had an opportunity to watch season season four yet, or I mean the beginning of season four, part one. Um, Kofi and I, I think I'm five episodes down. Kofi, I think is four episodes down. So we are going to talk spoilers here for the first four episodes because we feel like that's a good place to um, to stop. So there's kind of a narrative arc that sort of kind of, I, you know, for lack of a better word, sort of climaxes there. Um, and I think it, I think it is a healthy breaking point. Um, Climax. We'll back- I see what you yeah. did there. <laughs> and we're, uh, we'll come back in, you know, like in another week or so and, and round out our, our thoughts once Rob has had an opportunity to see everything, but we did, you know, Kofi and I did want to kind of talk a little bit about how we're feeling about the show, because there's been somewhat of kind of a divisive reaction. I think even though, people are excited in general that Stranger Things is back. I don't think anybody's saying this is bad, but it is a bit of a departure, Um, at least in some people's mind. I don't really see it that way necessarily. Uh, Like I said, we're going to go into spoilers here, but I don't really see it that way because it feels like every season of Stranger Things has kind of been, you know, its own own D&D campaign. It's got its own sort of super bad at the end. It's got its own kind of like pastiche that it's trying to kind of emulate and this just feels like the kind of like slasher film supernatural slasher films from the mid 80s it's like you know it's basically freddy krueger right um and i'm kind of i'm kind of here for it like i actually feel like some people have said this this season is a bit slow but i think it's actually you know when you kind of look at like the the third season with the mind flayer and like big cgi monsters and people getting like infected and all this the kind of it kind of was moving at times, I think, so fast that some of the character drama wasn't wasn't very earned. It was like the girls sort of breaking up with the guys and, you know, everybody has girlfriends now and them navigating all that. They explored that to, to an extent, but I, th- I feel like some of that ended up being forced because they didn't really allow themselves enough time to, to kind of enjoy it and, and sort of see where the actual like performances and, and the chemistry between the actors like sort of took things. And I feel like this one, it is a bit slower. It is a bit, it does feel like kind of like lower stakes in some ways, even though Paul Riser is telling us like, you know, the world is in greater danger than it's ever been in um, by the end of C- episode four. I, but I do feel like I've gotten some more kind of interesting character drama in that some of the characters are being put in very different situations than they had. Um, Like it's interesting seeing 11, you know, having to go to a new school and try and keep this like fantasy sort of alive that she's she's like writing Mike about how great she's doing when in reality she's like really struggling and, and things like that. Like I enjoyed a lot of that, and I enjoyed kind of the stuff with with uh with Mike and Will and sort of the you know kind of the shattered best friend relationship that's there. And you know, it's fun having Steve back and all these guys, but you know, the arc that Kofi and I are sort of alluding to that kind of comes full circle by the end of episode four is like the Mac story and the aftermath of losing Billy and how she's become kind of susceptible to this new, you know, this new evil and the the sort of big bad of the season Vecna. And by the end of that fourth episode, like, I think that may be one of the best, if not the best episodes of Stranger Things, because like, It just, from start to finish that episode, really, it paces itself perfectly. And by the end of it, like you're kind of on the edge of your seat and really, really on board with it in an emotional way that I don't know that I've ever super been with a lot of the characters on this show. Like I end up caring more about Max in that episode than I think I care about half of the kids that we've had four seasons with at this point. Um, But I am kind of curious, like, you know, what you how you're sort of feeling about it, Kofi. And then Rob, like if there's anything, uh, you know, you have questions about it or if you're excited, like if you're excited for Stranger Things or, you know, but I'll start with Kofi. Sure. Yeah, I'm going to nail this
2: uh, segment out
0: because, again,
2: I'm in a lot of pain, but I will say, maybe it's an attack from the upside down. But um, I was hard on this on uh, my other podcast, Comic Book Nation, which you can get on podcast platforms as well. We... We had a chance because there's so much content this week that I only did it my kind of review based on the first episode, which I thought was a really kind of slow and almost like a recap episode and reestablishing status quo. And I found kind of boring. Um, that said, I, I will have to walk it back a bit and say, like, the next two or three episodes of Stranger Things Season 4, as Ben alluded to, form this kind of first, you know, we call it like Arc A of like, you know, this season and, uh, yeah, by the time it reaches its climax episode in episode four, it's, it's really well done. And these are big episodes. So episode four is like an hour and 15 minutes or something and it is like a mini movie. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot of supernatural. I grew up on supernatural horror of the eighties and this is every bit that, and from the way it begins and unfolds the pacing. And, uh, I'm going to go so far as to say that the Duffer brothers have done the tightest written season yet with this cause they had yeah. the time and, the foresight to kind of sketch it out because um I think what's throwing people is it's hard to remember some of the locations that people are in. Yeah. And who is yeah, where yeah. and like what when that I mean, I just kinda I, I was missing, I found out I was mistaken a whole thing when in episode four about Mike and where Mike is. I was like, oh wait, no. <laughs> I was like, okay, no, I get it. Yeah, now. he's in California now. Yeah. yeah. And so like that whole thing is there. Um and so I think a lot of the arcs and the way they've split it up and pasted it, it, it not only is, it it also drives towards the main story a lot better. Like yeah. we get a Robin and Nancy sub arc, but it it's for a purpose, right? It's not just them yeah. like goofing off or having some side arc that distracts and like you want to fast forward through. They're doing stuff that's actually exciting to watch and all the groups are kind of like that. Um, and so that's good. But uh, I think there are some things that are just kind of, kind of clunky and kind of also just, you know, that TV writing, like, I get it, it's the 80s, but we are, or but we're a modern audience. So like, the two characters, the LGBT, clearly LGBTQ characters who are just like, going to take all season to reveal their truth and that whole th- kind of pacing is just kind of like eye rolling to me. Um, and I'm just like, okay, like, you know, I get it, but like, I get why I know what you're doing, but like, it's very cliched and and things like that.
0: So I can see some of those coming already. And it's just like, all right. Yeah. Well, even the jocks, right? Like the jocks that are out to get like vengeance for Chrissy is just like, you know, I mean, jocks or whatever, you know, I'm not going to stereotype or pass judgment, but we know the way jocks are depicted in, you know, in pop culture, and we know the way they're kind of depicted in the context of these shows where, you know, the geeks are sort of our heroes. But, like, these jocks are, like, complete sociopaths. <laughs> like, you know, and it's, I mean, it's kind of an interesting, they're sort of buying into the whole, like, satanic panic of the 1980s and all that. I get, you know, I get that that angle is, is sort of there. But the one of the things that is kind of weird about it that I do think is a knock against it maybe is also just kind of, like, there's a lot of like false flag operations that are happening. It's like Lucas is in with the jocks and then just kind of like in somewhat like unceremoniously just sort of abandons them. um, And is just totally in with, you know, with his old crew and stuff. Like, I feel like there was, there was maybe a bit more of an opportunity there to, to say something interesting or to, you know, have kind of more of a moment there other than him sort of deceiving them. But, And the other one is kind of what happens with like Eleven being arrested. It's like that just goes out the window. There's some kind of like clunky things where it's like, well, why did we even do this if it wasn't to just kind of, I guess, separate the characters or only so that they would kind of come back together. But as you start to get into like episodes later in episodes three and four, I think it starts to kind of come back together in a way where some of those sort of initial kind of weird side tangents that they were going down that were the results of some of the character drama um, like ended up like ended up sort of pulling themselves together in a weird way. But, but I think one of the things that this, the season did really like masterfully is like, there's a very intentional shot in the trailer of, you know, where you're seeing Max getting lifted into the air and the guys are like looking up at her and she looks like possessed and everybody was kind of like, well, what's going on in that section? Because, you know, is she possessed as she, you know, is she possessed by like Billy or something like that. And within the first episode, you understand like, what is at stake for Max. And I think, you know, you, if you've seen the trailer, that's sort of in the back of your mind along the way as to like how that was going to play out, because this is totally a show that would just like straight up murder one of the main characters of the show. That's part of the, the click. And so like I, that was really effective. Like that was like haunting my mind seeing that shot. Um, and, and the way that that plays out in the fourth episode is, is like very, very satisfying, I think. And it delivers on that doesn't feel like a gimmick for marketing or, or something like that. It feels like it actually is kind of the anchor of these entire four episodes is like, even if you didn't know that was coming, it's like, it's anchored around max, but, when you see something like that in a trailer, sometimes those are just sort of like ridiculous, like little shots. Whereas like in this, they were actually like giving away a pretty big thing. And how that's dealt with is actually, I think pretty cool. Um, And I kind of like, I sort of like the Scooby-Doo of it too. Like, you know, there's sort of a mystery here to unpack that is a little bit more personal than there's just monsters on the other, you know, on the other side that are doing these horrible things. It's like, I am very curious, like who Vecna is. Because it doesn't feel, exact- yeah.
2: <laughs> if it's, barbed. I don't know that I have not watched that far. I'm just, I just yeah. blurted that out. If it is Barb, that
1: is
0: ridiculous, and I have. I keep no seeing idea.
1: that on Twitter. I think people are hoping yeah. that's the case.
0: <laughs> I, yeah, I saw people thinking maybe it was like Hopper or something, but the timeline's like after you're past like the first or second episode, it's like it's clear that's not, um, you know, not the case or whatever. But like I do feel like we're going to find, I have a theory about who Vecna is, but I won't say it here because I, I've seen five episodes and so I don't, Okay. I, I might, it might be like stepping on a few people's toes, but, but I do feel like we're actually going to find out that Vecna isn't just like a monster from the upside down. Like Vecna is either connected to Hawkins and, you know, in some way or, you know, maybe with somebody that was pulled in there or, you know, was like in some way connected. Um, connected. So like, I am, I'm curious. I don't have a full fleshed out theory yet, but I will be very disappointed if the end is just like Vecna is just a monster because I think they're trying to tell some kind of more personal story about grief and loss and, you know, and people's relationship to like, you know, the upside down and stuff that, that I'm hopeful will, will pay off. But, but, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I'm liking it a lot so far. I guess I feel like a little bit contrarian sounds like Kofi's kind of with me. Like I've seen a lot of people kind of feeling like you know maybe it isn't as big as the other one i mean the last one ended with a a fucking you know monster the size of a mall you know (laughs) like you know stomping through the forest and then attacking people in this sort of big cgi battle so like i understand why maybe it feels a bit smaller but i think it feels to me that by the end of part two of season four like we'll be building up to something pretty epic again but i'm sort of enjoying just seeing these characters get to interact again and And have a little bit more room to kind of breathe. Um, And also that Vecna stuff is super, super like uh, disturbing to watch. Every time one of those kids gets like snapped into a bunch of pieces. Yeah.
2: uh, Speaking of which, this week, my God, I know it's just bad timing. But like both these
0: shows just open with like the worst possible openings. So like I saw the, you know, I saw everybody talking about the Star Wars thing. And I then, you know, loaded up Stranger Things and I was like, how are people not talking about this? (laughs) Because this, like, that feels much more. Well, they released those 10 minutes because Stranger Things released that 10 minutes online. Yeah, that's true. Like, weeks ago and they put a disclaimer in front of theirs. Yeah, that's true. That is true. I mean, you jump to, it. but the like the Jedi thing in Obi Wan, like, well, I don't know. I don't know how far down this rabbit hole I want to go. I understand. But we can talk, why we can
1: talk would... about it. I, 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 alluded to it. I felt weird. I felt awkward watching that when it first happened. I was yeah. like, oh man, because like what happened this week deeply affected me. I am yeah, like yeah. you guys. I think a deeply empathetic being. I couldn't focus. I was fucked up. I'm angry. You should see my social. Yeah. I'm sure you've seen it. My Twitter feed every day. Right? Yeah. Um. It was weird, man. The timing, like you said, Kofi, the timing could not be worse for that kind of stuff, but man, it shows you we're, we're always everyone's going with their storytelling these
0: days, right? How dark when you really think about it, but yeah. Um, it uh yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, the three of us all, you know, we now have kids and stuff, like it it hits differently for sure. Um, like it, it was yeah, I but I found The Stranger, like I did find The Stranger things one to be the more the one that I was like, "Ooh, this would be hard to watch if you didn't know." Whereas the Obi-Wan one, I guess, maybe just because it's fantasy it's a bit more fantasy and Yeah, they don't sh- yeah. I mean there's a like,
1: visual difference, I think. Yeah, too, but yeah. Like, um this I can't believe
0: we're making
2: this. Like I don't want to talk about this right now, actually. No, this is like, like.
0: Well anything else you guys want to say about uh like so Rob, you are gonna Yes, I have two questions. Are you a Stranger Things fan? I am. I I uh,
1: the that first season is it was pretty special and I watched that with my wife. It was just awesome, right? It hit all the right notes of that nostalgia. Um season two did not work for me. Um I was really frustrated with some of the character stuff. But I really enjoyed season three. So I was kinda curious how you guys ranked those seasons. And this is like on par with like season three and above sort of thing, you know? Don't remember. Don't remember. Don't remember. This one's all right. <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> all right, all right.
0: I think uh I think if if I remember correctly, I did I was in a position of kind of stalling out a little bit in season two as well. Um, but I did really like season three. I would put this. I would say this. You know, and again, this is probably controversial. I would put this up there as probably potentially my favorite season. Actually. Oh, nice. Um, but but like I said, it's just there's some really cool character stuff they're doing. They're like they're getting to really take their time. But there is also some just like ridiculously stupid things that are also you know.
1: Happening. Oh, that's that's my other question. So I keep seeing, and forgive me, I've not seen it, but on, on Twitter people keep. Raging about this a really annoying character in school. A- Angela, is that her name or something? Like, um, you know what I'm talking about? Is there a new character who's really annoying? Yes, yeah, oh, yeah, she's the bully yeah, that bullies 11. Okay. Yeah, oh. she's like an Valley girl-like stereotype. Is that watchable, or am I going to be so frustrated with that?
2: I mean, it's, it's, it's be, just annoying from the bullying thing, but like, okay. yeah, they're
1: just really yeah. – that
2: trope is there, like, again. Done with. It does a little thing where, like, it's making high school kids like, and then I get it. It's a horror movie kind of thing, yeah. Like, but it's yeah, making these it's kids a... like really horrible.
0: Yeah, um, it's like it is a very frustrating arc, though, Rob, because it's like she is clearly like openly bullying Eleven, and then Eleven fights back and gets arrested. <laughs> it's like it's kind of just like you like this just happened in a room full of like 150 people, where you know her and her friends were, like, knocking Eleven over and being mean to her and throwing, like, a milkshake on her and stuff. But uh, it's like... That, I hate you know, it. It's just not fun. I don't yeah. like any of that shit. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I'll say
1: this. Uh Having not seen the show, like we are in... I mean, we just talked about Obi-Wan and Stranger Things. Like, what crazy content season we're in. Like, in the okay. span of 48 hours last week, I got screeners for, like, you know, I'm two episodes ahead in Strange New Worlds, which, to me, is the greatest Star Trek, any Star Trek show ever. It's I got... All of the boys season three, all of Umbrella Academy season three, the first episodes of Miss Marvel, and we have Obi-Wan and Stranger Things starting like the same
0: day. Oh my God, man. Have, we are, have either of you we guys are eating watch, good. Did either of you guys watch the original screeners that Amazon sent out for the boys season three? So I tried to watch the first episode, and these effects were not in. The, the effects um, are not in. Have you got that?
1: Extreme scenes. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, so they have now sent updated screeners out for that. Yeah, they, I got an like, email where they just had just yeah, pulled them. It was weird. They were they like, put, hey, you got yeah, them. And they're like, there's nothing here. Yeah. And they put the VFX, <laughs> they put the, the final VFX in. But I will say, you know, completely out of context, there's a scene with a penis in that first, uh, <laughs> in that first episode that when you guys. I wish everybody got to see the boilerplate version of that scene. They took that
1: away? I wish we could have saved that. That's history.
0: I've now seen both versions of it. And the original one, like the second one is much more realistic looking. But the first, the first one, the boilerplate version, is one of the most insane things I've ever seen. Um, and like, Kofi, you've talked before about like, you know, us getting screeners that don't have the VFX sometimes and stuff. and But this is by far one of the weirdest things that I've ever seen like not CGI it was uh it was very very weird. You want
1: to see like the magic behind the scenes of filmmaking this was
0: some wild. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was very very weird. <laughs> we'll talk about it maybe we'll talk about that when we uh, when we review the the season of the boys or something cuz uh I want to be able to like actually talk about what that <laughs> what that scene was like without finished FS. <laughs> yeah. Cuz it was it was very bizarre. But and they are they're going for it in that show man. Wow. They waste no time. I freaking love that show so much. I love it so much. But, um, yeah. yeah, but no, you're totally right. I mean, Ashley and I are just like, we're falling behind on some shows that were like go-to's for us because there's so much stuff right now. I've been binging for months to catch up on all these shows. I, I've even watching things I didn't think I was
1: going to watch, like the Pacific Rim, the Black, the animated show on Netflix. Yeah, and that's great. Like, I, It's like all, all these little tiny shows, so many of them. And then like the moment I think I'm getting ahead, it's like, boom, you six shows that are huge genre hits. It's like, yeah. oh my God. So... Uh, yeah. it's a good problem to have obviously for
0: in our industry, but yeah. yeah, I went back and started watching discovery because I was enjoying strange new worlds and just like wanted more. And I didn't see the last season and you guys, I think you guys were talking about it, that it was like, yeah, was I see really, season
1: really four fun. to me is the strongest for discovery. Yeah. yeah. They really,
0: it's a good, good different story on, on its own, you know? Yeah. I like it a lot. I also like that they kind of were doing what strange new world does, where it's kind of a mission of the week a bit more. Cause Discovery What'd got get? very like overly serialized. This is like
2: our like half-ass rants and raves because I'm I in terrible though. pain and I'm out of here. I'm watching right Watch in. Under the Banner of Heaven with Andrew Garfield. Is- it's really messed up, but uh it's really good. And Andrew Garfield. Someone recommended
1: that yesterday. Yeah,
2: uh, and We Own This City is also dope as fuck for everybody who loved The Wire. So
0: be up on that. Yeah. Mayor of
1: Kingstown on Paramount Plus. Watch that.
0: We should do – yeah, we'll do a rant and rave soon. All right. Um, all right well, yeah let's, just wrap it, yeah, let's just wrap it up then. Um, we I think Kofi- you guys can keep talking about your uh, Sundays or whatever the fuck you guys were talking about. I,
1: like, <laughs> no, no, we're <laughs> done. We're done. There. No, we're good. I,
2: hey, I, like, yeah, uh, I think we're good. I let me get out of here.
0: Um, all right. Well, Kofi, why don't you just tell people where they can find you really quick and then Rob and I will wrap up. Hit me up at
2: comicbook.com. Comic Book Nation podcast is on all your podcast platforms. One of my kids is coughing It's all going down in flames. I'm in pain. I got to go see (laughs) a mental emergency dental surgery, but I'm out. Appreciate you taking the time. All right. Um, This special guesting thing was painful. (laughs) I love you all. Have a good Memorial Day. Uh, We'll hear this long after, so that doesn't make any sense, but you know. Yeah. See you guys next (laughs) time. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Later.
1: Uh, Rob, where can people find you? So we do an episode and I have COVID, and then we do an episode and Kofi's like, on the verge of going to hospital. Oh, my God. Hospital. Like, yeah.
0: Are we cursed? Like, what's going like, to happen This, this is what
1: happens, man. We, we, we fought so hard to make this podcast. Months of, like, <laughs> trying to time test podcasts. We finally get to it, and it's like scheduling conflicts, medical issues, family stuff. It's like We just cannot. It's just- true sit down yeah. once a week on time
0: and just talk about a
1: thing. This it's is such impossible. a testament
0: to like how hard we're working to People make. People don't know. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> like the amount of stuff I had to cancel, even like Friday we tried to do this didn't work. And today yeah. like I, I had to move some personal stuff around. Like it's just, it's, we, we, we are fighting to make this happen. Um. Yeah. Anyways, where, yeah, you, guys, you can find my team stuff uh, on, on um, screaming.com. And, and if you're, you know, like our Star Wars chat, I, I know we're a little negative on this show, but there is a lot of other exciting stuff happening. So you can check, and Kofi didn't have a chance to say this, but the, we, there's tons of great content and interviews on comicbook.com and screamer.com and our social feeds with all of the stars of all these shows. Um, and I, I can speak for my team, like just this weekend alone, we have a, the whole Stranger Things cast. We have interviews up for uh, everybody from Top Gun, from the Junkie and the Premiere, which they held on an aircraft carrier, of course, where Tom Cruise flew in on a helicopter. What a boss. Um <laughs> And then all of our Obi-Wan interviews, plus we did all sorts of red carpets, and we hosted two of the panels at Celebration, so lots of really cool exclusive content if you are uh, a big fan of that galaxy far, far away. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Rob underscore Keys, that's K-E-Y-E-S, and I'm at FailCube on Instagram and Twitch.
0: Yeah, and check me out on Twitter at Ben Kendrick, that's i um, I'm out of the industry, I'm just reviewing movies for Screen Rants. Um, I'm working over it. Right. Yeah, I'm working over at Rise at Seven doing digital marketing. So if you're curious what I'm up to, like check out Rise at Seven. But yeah, I'll be uh, I'll be popping on screen right. I think I have the Jurassic Park or Jurassic World Dominion and Lightyear reviews coming up. Oh, big ones, man! Big ones. I think both screenings are next week, so big week uh, on the screening front. But. Um, that's it. Yeah. That's it for this week, I guess. Pray to God that nothing happens to me since these two guys have had medical stuff they've been dealing with the past like, <laughs> week. So I'm going to yeah. be just, I'm just going to stay in my closet, and not come out for a week and a half. So that kind of passes me by or something, but this is why I did not go to celebration by the way, because I came home
1: from my, the what you know, the world's opening up, so to speak we get like eight or nine event invites. I choose one
0: and I just get like just wrecked because of it. So no celebration for me. Yeah. <laughs>
1: There's
0: always next year. You get to go to London next year, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I hate long travel for short events. We'll see. Maybe <laughs> we'll talk next year. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. Once again, you know, uh, if you get a chance, review us um, on, you know, your podcast, platform of choice. I think we'll start reading some of those at the end. Um, So if, you know, you have any inside jokes or anything like that you want to throw in, we'll, uh, we'll name drop you and, you know, and read out some of the, some of the reviews that we're getting and uh, you know, tell your friends if there was anybody that used to, you know, you recommended the screen Ran underground to that used to talk about it with, you know, let them know we're back. Let them know we're doing something because like we said just a few minutes ago, we are working really hard between all of our different, uh, families and, you know, work situations and stuff to get here every week and and podcast for you guys and talk about some of this stuff. So, um, if you appreciate that, you know, support us, we're trying to, you know, we're trying to recapture some of the momentum we had back in the SRU days with, uh, with the audience and everything. So, That'll do it for this week. I don't know what we'll do next week. Maybe we'll finish talking about stranger things and, you know, some other things that come up. I don't think there's anything big that opens this week. Is there really? I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm like one day at a time these days. So <laughs> yeah. I'll just make everybody go see everything everywhere all at once. And we'll talk. About I've seen that one. I did. I did go take myself to that. A couple weeks ago. Oh, amazing. You, well, maybe we can talk about that. Cause I loved it. So yeah. 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 Um, all right. Well, I'm just rambling at this point. Everyone have a great, great day. We'll, uh, we'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye.